Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Welcome back to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast. I thank you again for coming here to listen to these. I pray again that they are a help and a blessing to you. And once again, the feedback has been great. It's nice to get feedback or encouragement. Either way is always welcome, is always good and always helpful. And uh, now if you if you don't like the topic, I can't help you there. <laughs> As we're going to teach the Bible, we're going to go through the Bible. I, have, I believe I have that responsibility. And if you come here, you're going to hear preaching from the Word of God. That's just what we're going to do here, and that's how it's going to go. Now, with that in mind, today's uh, study is going to be a little different than the other, the previous ones, where we've um, uh, spent a lot of time either reading uh, passages that built the historical background related to the Book of Haggai and how we got here, or biographical sketches of the various people in the Book of Haggai, or we have been going verse by verse through the book of Haggai. Now, what we're going to do today is going to be a little bit different in that there's not going to be a lot of preaching. There's not going to be a lot of uh, talking on my part. Uh, we're going to look at a very important topic that I think would be good for us to note. First, let's read our passage that, that introduces the idea. And we'll be in Haggai chapter 1, and we'll read verses 1 through 2. So Haggai chapter 1, verse 1, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehoshadak the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Now it's the Lord's house that should have been built, that they should have been working on and, and that they had neglected and, and they failed to do that work. And so because of their neglect of the Lord's house, the Lord of hosts came to speak to them. The Lord of hosts rose up, um, uh, Haggai the prophet, and then eventually alongside him was Zechariah the prophet. And they came and they told the people what the Lord of hosts had to say. And it was a pretty rough message. We've looked at it in some detail. We'll look at it a little bit more before we move on um, in, in the coming studies. Uh, the next one that I have planned for next week is going to be, uh, I believe, very interesting and, and very worthwhile. We've developed a playlist on YouTube that you can list to, listen to, or you can go to the Plenteous Redemption podcast and listen to them. Either way, if you want to see the videos, you go to YouTube. If you just want to listen to the audio, the best place to do that is on uh, at plenteousredemption.media or Podbean or Google or Apple or uh, wherever you listen to podcasts because there are, there are numerous places out there to do so. Uh, the audio is also available on YouTube if, you, if you're not interested in the video but just want to have the audio running. That also is on YouTube. Um, and, and so we're doing every, everything we can to make the Word of God available to those who are interested There'd be no excuse in today's day and age to say you don't have access to the Word of God. It is abundantly available. Now, it might be hard to get to through all the noise on, on the Internet, on, on Facebook and on, you know, every other the, you know, platform that's available out there for you, to, for you to find 
preaching or teaching or uh, to, to locate people who at least claim to be Christians, you, you know, that, that doesn't mean much these days in terms of the world's use of the word. Uh, there is still a biblical use of the word. And so if you're looking for biblical Christianity, that's what we have to offer here. If that's not what you're interested in, you know, Joyce Meyer, I think is probably still on YouTube. So you can find, you know, somewhere else to go. Uh, but if you're interested in biblical Christianity, what we're going to talk to you about and tell you about is the Lord of hosts. And that's our topic today. We're going to look at each place in the Bible where uh, the Lord of hosts identifies himself uh, and identifies some characteristic about himself. Now, that means we've got a lot of passages to read. There'll be very little expounding on those passages. We just want to, we want to, we want to, there, you know, let me, let me explain it this way. There are 20 verses in the book of Haggai that mention in some form that the Lord spoke to Judah. Now, there are more than 20 mentions. I think there are about 24 mentions of the Lord speaking, but there are 20 verses that mention those. Now, the words, uh, the words that are spoken of those 20 passages that mention the Lord speaking, 13 identify the speaker as the Lord of hosts. That's significant. And when you see, as we go through the Bible, as we go through these passages that we're about to study, and you begin to identify who the Lord of hosts is, and then go back to Haggai and consider that that's who's speaking to these people. That's incredible. And again, in this episode, we're going to look at the several passages in our Bible that tell us who the Lord of hosts is. We want to identify his characteristics and attributes. And I see no better way to accomplish this than to read what he has written about himself. Now, there are numerous mentions. I forget the total number of the phrase, the term, the Lord of hosts. And I looked at all of them. And uh, as I went through them, I noticed there are several who say who he is or what he is. And so those are the ones we're going to look at. And the first one, the first topic, the first heading, the first idea, the first description of who the Lord of hosts is, he is the God of Jacob. He is the God of Israel. And this fact comes up more often than any other. It, it was repeated so many times, it would, take, it would take weeks to go through all the verses that, that mention it. There are probably, uh, you know, maybe a couple uh, hundred, maybe 170 mentions, uh, you know, somewhere around there of, of the phrase, the term, the, the Lord of hosts, and probably 60 or 70, uh, 70 of them identify him as either the, the God of Jacob or the God of Israel. In fact, the Lord of hosts is only mentioned in the Old Testament. This has a direct relationship to Israel. And, and in Haggai, he's speaking directly to Judah. So, so we're going to look at these, look at Psalm 46, verses 6 through 11. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease under the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in, in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The Lord of hosts is the God of Jacob. Now, he is the God of Jacob, but he's not limited to being the God of Jacob. He will be exalted in the earth. He will be exalted among the heathen. I would be amongst those heathen that exalt him. I would be amongst those heathen that exalt him in the earth. It, it's, we, we want to, we want to uh, be clear about this. It, the, re the references to the term, the Lord of hosts, uh, have a significant relationship with Jacob, with Israel. And that's important to note. But multiple times in these passages that relate to the Lord of hosts, he tells the entire world. He tells everyone, I will be exalted. I am the only God. There is no other God. You need to come to me. And so we want to make our way to the Lord of hosts, and we want to join this company of heathen that abandon the idea of being a heathen, that abandon our Gentile nature and, and, and willingness to follow, follow after 
pagan ideas, pagan teaching, secular ideas, secular teaching, and we want to join ourselves with the Lord of hosts. We have that option, and the Lord said that would happen, and it is indeed happening. It's happening here in Africa. It's happening all over the world. People who don't belong to Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, who don't descend from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of hosts, all over the world, all the time. And we want to keep that going. We want to keep that up. Isaiah 48, verses 1 through 3. Hear ye this, O house of Jacob, which are called by the name of Israel, and are come forth out of the waters of Judah, which swear by the name of the Lord, and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth. That's, that's a sad state of being. Nor in righteousness. For they call themselves of the holy city, and stay themselves upon the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. I have declared the former things from the beginning, and they went forth out of my mouth, and I showed them, I did them suddenly, and they came to pass. The Bible says, you know, God says in the Bible, known unto me are my works. God knows his own works. He knows what he's going to do, what he's going to accomplish. He doesn't always know what his people are going to do. And we're given ample opportunity to show him what we're going to do. Jesus said, if you love me, if, if you love me, keep my commandments. And, and so what you're going to choose to do on a daily basis, God, God is not fully aware of that. I know that's going to be hard for some of you to take. And in time, we'll deal with some of this in more detail. But the reality is that's a good thing for us. You don't want God to know what you're doing all day, every day on a daily basis. Now, can he have access to that knowledge? And will he one day open the books and judge that reality? Yeah, it's absolutely coming. Yes, he can have access to that knowledge if he so chooses. But for now, he knows what he's going to do. He knows how he's going to do it and how he's going to accomplish it. But he doesn't know for certain on a daily basis what you're going to do. For instance, he told Israel how to live in the land that he gave them. And here they are, they've rejected him. They want to maintain their association with his name because it had become part of their national identity, but they don't know him in truth. They don't make mention of him in truth. They don't make mention of him in righteousness. It sounds like Romans chapter 1. And this is not a position that you want your nation to be in, you don't want your family to be in this position. You, you want to own the name. You want to be associated with God because it's part of your cultural background, but you can't talk about him in any form of truth. That, that's, not a, that's not a good place to be. Now, he's identified here again as the God of Israel, and the God of Israel is the Lord of hosts. Now, the next heading is the King of glory. He is the King of glory. Zechariah 14, verses 16 through 17. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth under Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. Now, so it identifies here this, this future king who we know to be the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he is the Lord of hosts. He's the king of glory. Now, imagine, you know, I, I, I often, when you think about the goodness of God, <laughs> I often like to frame it in such a way that, you know, more importantly, the long suffering of God. What if God gets to the point that he's so frustrated with you and your life and the way you're living that he just denies you oxygen for 24 hours? You know what? No more oxygen for you. <laughs> that wouldn't be good. <laughs> You're not going to make it. Uh, you know, and so here we have the, these families who, who refuse to go up and worship the king, the Lord of hosts. And he says, okay, no rain. What if he decided to do that to your land, your property, your city, your country, your nation? That'd be a, a very bad place to be. And so the Lord of hosts is saying here, now, he doesn't do that to us. Uh, does it happen to some extent across the planet? Yeah. Did God do it? I, you know, 
When God did it in the Bible, more often than not, he showed up to tell people, this is why this happened. You know, you're, you're facing drought. We, we read that in the book of Haggai. God said, the reason there's drought in your land, I caused it because it, it, it's, it's a form of judgment on the way you're living your lives and what you're doing and the choices you make. You have decided to neglect me. You're my people, but you've decided to neglect me. You want to associate with my name, but you don't want to associate with, you know, my name with truth and righteousness. Okay, no rain. That's, that'd be all it'd take to shut down your entire, your entire world. You go without rain long enough, you know, we're here in, in, in Uganda. Uganda has uh, uh, basically two seasons twice a year, uh, especially in the region we live in. We live, where we live is, uh, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's about 3,000 feet above sea level. Uh, it's very uh, tropical. It's beautiful. It's very comfortable. The, the temperature ranges throughout the year between 60 and 80. It might get a little bit warmer from time to time, but it, it's, it's a very, you know, for the most part, very comfortable place to live. Now, you have either a dry season or a rainy season, twice a year. It, it rains, then it's dry, then it rains, then it's dry. During the dry season, the dust is just, uh, it reaches, you know, not unbearable levels, but it, it, it reaches, it, it's just everywhere. There's nothing you can do about it. And so here we are in August, we should have gone into the rainy season already, and it's and it's not here. And And so... So dust is just caked on everything and it's everywhere and you can't get away from it. It's just how it is. And so it wouldn't take but just a little bit longer. And this beautiful, lush, green area that we live in start turning brown and dying and crops start dying and then people start going hungry. And, and, and so we thank God that he's long suffering and doesn't deal with us according to our sin. That's, that's why it's good that God is not 100% knowledgeable of what you do on a daily basis all day, every day. Because when he found out what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, he, the next thing he did was rain fire and brimstone on it. You don't want God finding out about the unrighteousness, unrighteousness in your life. You want to take advantage of the grace and the mercy he shows and, and that he sits in that third heaven with this great gulf between us called the universe and and he allows you time and space to repent and to hear the word of God and to learn and to get your life in order. And, and he does, he'll do all he can to help you with that. And that is certainly his aim. It is God's will that all men everywhere repent. But he's long suffering. He's merciful. He's gracious. You don't want to abuse that aspect of who God is. And he's telling these people up front. When I am sitting on my throne, and, and, and you know, of course, this is uh, future. This is, this is the coming kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ here on earth. And so when he establishes that kingdom and families have the option to either take their family and, and take him gifts and show their, their, their love and concern for the king, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of hosts, uh, he'll honor that. But if your family refuses to go, okay, no rain. <laughs> How's that for motivation? <laughs> so Psalm 24, verses 7 through 10, and it, this is a, I love this passage. This is one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and his returning to glory. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. That's who's talking to Judah in the book of Haggai. That's who wanted his temple rebuilt. That's who sent them into captivity because of their, their, their neglect in the first place. And then after 70 years in captivity, they return and... <laughs> And neglect God. That's not a smart route to take. That's not what you want to do. That's not the, the, the way you want things to go. You want to, uh, you know, you want to be careful to reverence God, to, to find out what he says in his word and do it, apply it to your life. That's, it's not just the, uh, the chastening of the Lord you need to be concerned about. That, that should concern you. 
But the, the, the natural order to this world, the way God created it, is that if you, if you strive after righteousness, and on a daily basis, you live in a, in a way that is, that is holy, that is righteous to, to the best of your ability. We're not, I'm not suggesting you're going to do everything perfect and everything right. And, and I certainly don't. No one does. But there should be a continual striving to move in that direction and not a settling down in, in, in becoming complacent or even becoming comfortable with neglecting the word of God and neglecting what God has instructed us to do and how he's instructed us to live. You don't want to be in that place. That's not where you want to settle down. What did God instruct us as Christians to do? That's what we need to do. That's what pleases God. And and through that process of daily faithfulness to what God said, that's how our lives turn out to be in order. Things are not in chaos and falling apart. We're just going along daily planting seeds, and those seeds are righteousness. And so in time, as those seeds grow up and, and, and the harvest comes in, you will reap in righteousness. But on a daily basis, if you're reaping in unrighteousness, your life is going to be total chaos. You're going to be a nervous wreck mentally. You're going to be, you're going to be distraught emotionally. You're going to be confused about what's going on in the world. You're, you're going to have all these crops popping up of unrighteousness that you, you planted and things are just going to be a mess, but it doesn't have to be that way. It, it does not have to be that way. Now, the next title, the next topic, the mighty one of Israel, Isaiah chapter one, verses 21 through 26. And again, this is another, you know, the way the, the way the Lord words some of these things, the way he describes what's going on in, in, in Israel and what's taking place, man, it's some of us, it's a hard saying, <laughs> Uh, Isaiah 1, verses 21 through 26. How is the faithful city becoming harlot? Whew. It was full of judgment. Righteousness lodged in it. That's what it was. But now, murderers. That sound familiar? Now, this is God dealing with Israel. But as you read in your Bible, these principles seem in many ways applicable to nations in general. And the more your nation applies biblical principle to its daily operations, the better that country runs. The cleaner it is, the more prosperous it is, the less crime you have, the less destruction you have. And the further away you get away from God as a nation. And, and, and again, I don't mean, I'm not suggesting America was ever a Christian nation, but it certainly, uh, in its founding, was established on a lot of biblical principle. And that biblical principle created the greatest country the world has ever known. You're, we're about to lose it. Our current, our current uh, status in the world is a joke. Our current president is a joke. The way things are done is a joke. You, our country is overrun by people who, they don't even know if they're male or female anymore. They call, they call good things bad and bad things good. They're confused. They hate God. They hate the word of God. They hate anything that has anything to do with morality, a good sense of morality, a sound, stable sense of morality. They're creating their own, their own form of righteousness. They don't want God. They don't need God. And so here we are in Romans chapter one, all over again, they're plunged into confusion. Their foolish hearts are darkened. And now our country is full of a bunch of murderers. We're killing people in Afghanistan. We're killing our own troops in Afghanistan. We, we, we have turned our backs on all the people who, who counted on us, who trusted us, who, who we said we would be your allies. Our country's not trustworthy anymore. I'm a citizen of the country and I wouldn't trust, I wouldn't trust one thing our government has to say or, or, or says they're going to do unless it's going to be, I can count on them to move in the wrong direction every single time. We gave up Hong Kong to China. We gave up Ukraine to Russia. We're about to give up Taiwan. We just gave up Afghanistan. Our country is a joke. It's a bunch of undependable fools. We're a bunch of harlots. Our politicians are a bunch of harlots for sale on both sides. You might have a few people here and there that develop a backbone and say something, but they'll be crushed as soon as possible. It's, this is how God deals with nations. You should, as a nation anywhere in the world, read how God dealt with Israel 
and expect that that's how he's probably going to deal with you to some extent, at least in principle. You can't apply the specifics. America is not Israel. But nationally speaking, America at once at least paid favor, at least showed favor to to biblical principle, and our country was far better for it. Not without mistakes and without without, uh, areas that need to be corrected, obviously, but look where we are today. It's a joke. How has the faithful city become an harlot? It was full of judgment, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. Thy silver is become dross, thy wine mixed with water, thy princes are rebellious, the companions of thieves. That's, that's, our, that's, that's our ruling class. They are a bunch of rebellious companions of thieves, if they're not the thieves themselves. But again, this is talking about Israel. While it incites a rant about America from time to time, the topic here is Israel. We want to make sure we point that out. Everyone loveth gifts hmm, and followeth after rewards. Unemployment, let me pay you to stay home and not work. There's nothing honorable about that. You're a crook. You have the ability to work, but you'd rather stay home and let people who work pay you to stay home? You're a coward. The Bible says if a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. So stay home, collect your check, but stop eating. Do everybody a favor. Just stop eating. Take that all the way to its end. (laughs) So they follow with rewards. They judge not the fatherless. Neither doth the cause of the widow come unto them. Therefore saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, I will ease me of mine adversaries. You should be terrified of those words. You need to really think about that. And avenge me of mine enemies, and I will turn my hand upon thee, and purely purge away thy dross, and take away all thy ten, and I will restore thy judgments as at the first, and thy counselors as at the beginning. Afterward thou shalt be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. So the way you become a city of righteousness, a faithful city, you got to purge the dross. You got to get rid of the unrighteousness. Righteousness exalteth a nation. Now, that was not written to the nation of Israel. That is biblical principle that every nation should, should, should apply to their governance. Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. If your country will establish a measure of biblical principle in its ruling class, your country will thrive. Not establish capitalism. Now, I thank God for a country that establishes a system of freedom, and capitalism has demonstrated itself to be so. And so, if we have to settle for for the lowest common denominator, I'll take capitalism. But I'll take a country founded on biblical principle far before I'll take a capitalist country. If I had the option. Of course, now we're turning in communist states of America the socialist state, states of America. We're quickly headed in that direction, and that's going to produce more death, more unrighteousness, more unholiness, more dross for God to have to purge. That's what happens. That's what it does. That's the direction your country is headed. Now, next, the Bible says of the Lord of hosts, the house of Israel is his vineyard. That's a beautiful thing. Isaiah 5, verses 1 through 8. Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath the vineyard in a very fruitful hill, and he fenced it, and gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine, and built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof. That's not good. And it shall be eaten up 
and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down, and I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned, nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain, no rain upon it. That sounds familiar. Sounds like the King of glory, the Lord of hosts. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant, and he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression. He looked for judgment, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry. Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, till there be no place, that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. So nationally speaking, this is true individually as well as individual people, you know, as, as an individual person, as, as a family, as a county, as a city, as a state, as a nation. You don't want to toy with God. Because he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. And then he's going to eventually come back and do something about it. It is better for you as a nation to develop at the very minimum a system of biblical principle in order for you to reign, for you to rule by. It would be better if your people were a Bible-believing people who allowed the Bible to be their guide and, and to, to govern them individually. And now that's where we as Christians have failed because we're trying to fix the problem from the top down. We're hoping we can establish a president who will, who will at least give assent to biblical principle and that that will fix all our problems. That's not what we're instructed to do. You're told to pray for the king, not go campaign for him. <laughs> You're not supposed to be one of his minions out doing his bidding. You're supposed to pray for the king that he leaves us alone so that we do have the freedom within that nation to preach the gospel, to worship the Lord our God, to sing hymns. You can't even sing hymns in some states right now. You can go to Whole Foods and talk all you want, but you can't go to church in some states because governments have decided that they need their economy running, but they don't need God. They have set themselves against God, and these passages reveal there are going to be consequences to that, and it's not good. It's very, very bad. It's very serious. You know, but isn't he the God of love? Yes, he loves you so much he will punish you when you're wrong. It is not love to to allow people to live outside the bounds of what is right and to develop an entire society based on that which is wrong. That's not love. Love is correcting those people because you know the end result of, of their society based on that which is wrong is going to be total destruction, death, pain, and so righteousness exalts at the nation. Righteousness. Who defines that righteousness? God does. The Bible does. I know you hate that book. Sorry. I apologize. Now let me do something to help you get over it. Because you and I, we need that book. We need to do what it says. We need to establish its principles in our life. We need to obey its precepts. We need to read it. We need to study it. We need to meditate on it. You should soak your mind with that book. That's where your help's going to come from. Suicide rates going through the roof. Depression going through the roof. Anxiety. I, you know, people doped up on, and medicated because they can't, they can no longer control themselves or, or face reality on a daily basis. And if they're not on legal drugs prescri prescribed by an atheistic evolutionary psychologist, then they go to the streets and buy illegal drugs. Or they go to the market and buy the drugs sold by the government, alcohol. And they numb themselves because they don't want to face reality. They can't face reality. When, when the result of their choices individually and nationally start reigning in, people are terrified. I think you're going to start seeing a lot more of that in America. After being dominated by a ruling class in 2020 over, over a cold flu, and then seeing the continuation of that in 2021, and then the total collapse 
of the U.S. military, the U.S. government. It wasn't the military's fault. If you would turn the military loose and let them do their job, this war would have been over with a long time ago. If indeed that's what you wanted was the war to be over with. Our military is not incapable of doing the job. We just don't have a ruling class who have the stomach to finish the job. Between their bickering with each other and trying to make each other look bad rather than, rather than founding a country that is stable, secure, righteous, they want to play games. Well, the consequences of those games, is, is, it's about to come raining in. You're going to get what you asked for. All right, next, he is exalted in judgment. The Lord of hosts, exalted in judgment. Isaiah 5, verses 11 through 16. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink. Uh-oh. <laughs> you didn't know that was going to be mentioned here, did you? <laughs> strong drink. Do you have to drink? Is it necessary when I was... In America, I'm in Africa now, but when I was in America, we go out on the streets and we witness to people and, and they, they ask, do you drink? No. I say, well, what do you do for fun? <laughs> now you think about that, okay? This, you know, I, I've, I've uh, written some things and, and I, have, I have other segments on my podcast where I try and deal with culture and, and, and uh, try to think about some of the presuppositions people accidentally reveal, not even realizing they've revealed it. Now think about that mentality, the connection, the, the fun doesn't exist without alcohol. That's a sad, pathetic life. You, you, there is nothing you can do that would bring you pleasure or joy, enjoyment or fulfillment without a bottle. <laughs> well, God says, woe unto you, woe unto you. That should if you don't understand the severity of that, of the, of that term, whoa, coming from God, uh, I don't know what to do for you. It's very serious. And, and if you think about the, the, the mentality here that the Lord is, is relating this to, you have to get up early and drink again. You can barely make it through the night and get up early and you got to drink again. You've got to have it again. You have a serious problem and it's not a disease. You don't have a disease. You didn't develop. It's not cancer. You have a bad habit that is the result of bad choices. And if you don't get some help to break those choices, you're going to end up in serious trouble or dead. Your family's going to fall apart. Your finances are going to fall apart. Your life's going to fall apart. And eventually your body's going to fall apart. It all follows. This stuff will hurt you. It's not a joke. It is a clear biblical principle. Stay away from alcohol. The Bible never says one good thing about alcohol. It tells you repeatedly it's going to hurt you. It's going to harm you. Stay away from it. And... People just want to go play with it. They want to play with that fire until it burns them. And then you're like, I didn't know, I didn't know the fire was going to burn me. No, you felt the heat coming off of it. And you kept playing. So I hope you will stop playing before you seriously get hurt. So woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night, till wine inflame them. And the harp and the vial, the tabaret, the pipe and wine are in their feasts, but they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of his hands. Therefore, my people are gone into captivity. That's okay. Again, we're talking nationally here. God said, this is how you're living. You have no regard for me. I'm sending you into captivity. I'm, I'm, if you read the end of Second Chronicles, what, it, what he's referring to here, or, or the eventual, uh, the eventual end result, both both Israel and Judah went into captivity. The northern tribe, the northern kingdom, went into went into uh, Assyria, and the southern kingdom went into Judah. But he but he says here, if, if you read in Second Chronicles at the end of Second Chronicles, referring to Judah, he says that that they they so disobeyed him, they reached the point to where he had no other remedy. God said, I had no other remedy. So he sent them into captivity. Therefore, my people are gone into captivity because they have no 
knowledge. That sounds unbelievably familiar today. We have an entire world of knowledge. Now it's, it's common in America, especially for the, for the college educated, <laughs> to tell you face to face. Now, I want you to, I really, I really, I really need you to take, take a moment, maybe shut this off and think about this. A college student today in America will tell you you can't know anything. Now, let's make the connection, okay? See, people don't think through to the end of their idiotic statements. Let's make the connection here. You paid thousands of dollars per semester to learn that you can't know anything. Do you not see the problem with that? Do you not see the connection? First of all, for you to know you can't know anything, (laughs) that is knowledge. How do you know you don't know anything? You have to have the knowledge that you know something or that you don't know something. It, it, it's, it's mind-boggling how an entire nation can be without knowledge. Those people are going to be your rulers soon. <laughs> They're going to be in your Congress. They're going to be on your Supreme Court. They're going to be your president, vice president. You thought it was bad now? Wait till Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez generation is, is ruling your government. She's just a lowly little congressperson with a large Instagram feed. Wait till her and people like her are president. We're headed for serious trouble. And everyone still thinks the solution is we got to get Donald Trump back in. We got to get Ron DeSantis in. We got to get Marco Rubio in. We got to get, we got to get, we got to get somebody in who can fix this problem as though there is no God. We do nothing God asks us to do, but we assume we have the solution. The solution is more government. Well, more government that I agree with. And like I've said many times, those Republicans are happy to take your vote. And then they treat Christians the same way Democrats treat black people. We're going to sell you a dream, take your votes, and then drop you once we get in the door. Now, I prefer to have those people in power. Ron DeSantis, all for it. He has, he has demonstrated his propensity to stay out of your life and let you live the way your constitution regulates you should be able to live. That's a good thing. That means we would have the freedom as Christians to live the way we want to live in accord with God's word. But here, here's the problem. Here's the question. Are you doing that? God's word says, go preach the gospel. When was the last time you went and preached the gospel to anybody anywhere in any way? God says, read your Bible. Do you do that? God says, study to show thyself approved unto God. Do you do that? What's the point of having freedom to do those things if you don't do them? So another government, that's not the solution. Anyway, therefore, my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge and their honorable men are famished and their multitude dried up with thirst. Therefore, Hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure and their glory and their multitude and their pomp. And he that rejoiceth shall descend into it. We're going to have a party in hell. (laughs) Be some kind of party. Have fun with that. Let me know how it goes. (laughs) Send us a postcard. Uh, You can take that pomp right into hell with you. I, I imagine it'll be burned up pretty quickly when you lift up your eyes in hell being in torment. This is the, the Christian responsibility is not vote for a governor, vote for a president. If you have the freedom to do that in your country, great. In America, if you like going through the motions for no reason, <laughs> have at it. Your job is to go preach. You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You are not an ambassador of Donald Trump. Your nation is falling apart because Christian, Bible-believing Christians think that men who are attached to a conservative or Republican party are going to be the Savior. And you just took your, your actual Savior, the Lord of hosts, and you put him on the shelf. You say, well, I'll let you know if I need you. That has to stop. That needs to go away. And the mean men shall be brought down, and the mighty man shall be humbled, 
and the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled, but the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment. Well, I thought God didn't want us to judge. You thought wrong. You should stop thinking that. It's not biblical. It's not Christian. It's not godly. God wants judgment. He wants, actually, he wants swift judgment. I want you to judge the matter, judge it righteously based on biblical truth, and then execute it. And none of that happens today. And God that is holy shall be sanctified in righteousness. Now, this passage highlights an idea I often talk about here in Uganda. When reasonable laws exist, and when the men who are in charge of those laws fairly enforce them, that society will be calm and peaceful. When a proper sense of judgment is established, it creates a level of stability and predictability in life that gives people the freedom to reasonably operate. Righteousness. Just if your country would just take a look at what God says is righteous and establish, you don't have to call yourself a Christian, just establish that as the principle by which you govern. Now we're talking about nationally, we're talking about, you know, as Christians, we don't, we don't own the government. We don't operate the government. We don't tell the government what to do. We just want the government to leave us alone. But in, in these terms, I'm speaking to governments. I'm telling you, if, if as a, a leader in any sense, if you will establish biblical principle as your means of operation, you'll have a peaceful, stable, happy, predictable country. But when that lack of predictability exists, chaos ensues. People don't know what to do. They don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. They don't know what your police are going to do. They don't know what the government's going to do. Everything's so random and unpredictable that they, 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 they clamor. They, they, chaos you know, begins to break out everywhere and things start falling apart and your country collapses. Or you can just keep playing the way you're playing and, and see how it goes. But when there is no judgment... When the average citizen cannot distinguish between the criminal and the police officer, that society exists in a perpetual state of turmoil. It's an ungodly condition, and someday the Lord will come and straighten out these debacles we call civilization. It'd be better if you straightened it out before he got there. It'd be better if you did not toy with God in this way. Next, the Lord of hosts is holy, holy, Holy Isaiah 6 verses 1 through 3 In the year that King Uzziah died I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple above it stood the seraphims each one had six wings with twain he covered his face and with twain he covered his uh, feet and with twain he did fly and one cried unto another and said holy 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 is the Lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory now belief in what we term the trinity makes this passage very interesting. It's, a, it's, a, it's just an interesting note. The Bible teaches there is one God who is composed of three persons. That, that's important. You know, Islam likes to say, oh, you have three gods. We don't have three gods. We have one God. But the three persons of that God are required to, to compose the one true and living God. Now, you say, I don't understand that. <laughs> Join the crowd. <laughs> Maybe someday, hopefully, the Lord will, will make it unbelievably clear, clear to us. But for now, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, these three are one. It's a complex idea. I get that. But it's not, it's not beyond at least basic comprehension. You can get at least the basic concept. You're not going to understand it in detail, at least not this side of glory, not this side of heaven. But but it is true. So in Isaiah, when these seraphim cried out regarding the holiness of God, they had to admit he is holy, 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 because these three are one. That's, that's an extremely important principle. That's, um, you know, that's who God is. These three, the Father, the Word, who is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit. These three make the one true and living God. So I, I, I hope you have no problem with that. If you do, you have the wrong God. I don't know what to tell you. Um, that's, the way, that's the way the Bible breaks it down. That's the way the Bible explains it. As a matter of fact, this is why we're, uh, you know, those of us who love the King James Bible, this is why we adhere to it so strongly. 
is the most important verse in all the Bible on the Trinity is, is 1 John 5, 7. 1 John 5, 7 and 5, 8 lay this out beautifully. Well, in most of your modern Bibles, they've deleted that passage. The most clear passage in the entire Bible on baptism, that, that salvation is required before baptism is permissible. You know, the, the Ethiopian eunuch asked, here is water, what doth hinder me? Something is hindering me from being baptized. What is it? Well, that's in Acts 8.36 that he asked the question. 8.37, the answer is in 8.37, most of your modern Bibles have deleted it. It's not there. It doesn't exist. So we stick with the King James Bible because it has, it has the most clear explanation of the Trinity in that book. You can't find it anywhere else. There is, there is, no, there is no greater uh, passage on, what, on, on, the, on the Trinity than 1 John 5, 5, 7. There, there's nothing else that you could point to to say, man, this is unbelievably clear. There, the Trinity is right here. There are hints of it elsewhere, but it is unbelievably clear in that passage. So I hope you'll stick with your King James Bible and stop playing philosophical games and, and joining these, these, you know, (laughs) I'm going to try to be nice because it really frustrates me when I hear you say, well, this, what this should have been in the Greek, what do you, you you don't have a clue what it should have been in the Greek. You're reading a Strong's concordance. You're not reading the Greek. You don't have an, an original Greek text. That, as a matter of fact, the original Greek text, none of it exists. You have nothing you could point to and say, that's the original. All you have are older manuscripts that, that our current King James Bible may have played a part in coming from. So outside of that, you have, you have, you, you have no, and then the King James translators. You don't measure up to one of them, much less all 50 of them. So, so I, you just have to excuse me if I'm not willing to take your word for it. If I'm not willing to trust in your ability to open a Strong's Concordance and correct God. He uh, gave us the most incredible book in existence. No book has done more for history than the King James Bible. So, anyways, that's just a little, a little side note for you to enjoy. So, I'm going to try to go through the rest of these quickly. I want to keep these at an hour and... Uh, you have caused me to ramble and rant too much, so I'm going to try to run through these quickly. Next, the Lord of hosts is wonderful in counsel, excellent in working. That's God. That's our God. Isaiah 28, verses 23 through 29. Give ye ear and hear my voice. Hearken and hear my speech. Doth the plowman plow all day uh, to sow? Doth he open and break the, the clods of his ground? When he hath made plain the face thereof, Doth, doth he not cast abroad the fitches and scatter the cumin and cast in the principal wheat and the appointed barley and the rye and their place? For his God doth instruct him to discretion and doth teach him. That's a beautiful thing. His God, he's talking about a man plowing a field. That's what God wants to do for you. What is your job? What is, what is it you do to make money? What is it you do? What is your hobby? What is, it, what is it you do on a daily basis that sustains you? God would like to instruct you and give you some discretion regarding those things. That's incredible. The Lord of hosts, the King of glory, would like, to, would, like to, would like to give you some instruction and some discretion on how to be a, a, you know, a software engineer, an accountant, a father, a husband, a mother. That's incredible to me. For the fitches are not threshed with a threshing instrument, neither is a cartwheel turned about upon the cumin. Of course, everybody knows that. But the fitches are beaten out with a staff and the cumin with a rod. Bread corn is bruised because he will not ever be threshing it, nor break it with the wheel of his cart, nor bruise it with his horsemen. This also cometh forth from the Lord of hosts, which is wonderful in counsel and excellent in working. Now that... He's wonderful in counsel and excellent in working. Do you see what he did here? He gave a man instruction on how to be a farmer. What what could God do for you on a daily basis? How could he help you on a daily basis if you would let him? If you would come to him, if you'd read his word, if you'd spend time with him. That's what's available to you. That's what's available to me. Now, next, the Lord of hosts is the first, the last, no other God exists but him. Isaiah 44, 6, thus saith the Lord, 
the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last and beside me there is no God. Now, this settles the debate. It seems that all religions are not the same and that all roads do not lead to heaven. In this passage, the Lord declares there is no God beside himself. And in John 14, 6, Jesus says, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. The way seems to be straight and narrow. So when someone asks, what about all the other religions? The answer is, they have no God. <laughs> you can have the religion, okay? That's, that's your choice. It's available to you. But that religion has no God. God said, he looked around, he said, there's no other God. I'm the only one. There's nobody but me. Next, the, the Lord of hosts is the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. This is in Isaiah 47, verse 4. As our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. And again, that, that connection of the Lord, the Lord of hosts to Israel. Um, this is repeated in Jeremiah 50, verses 33 and 34. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the children of Israel and the children of Judah were oppressed together and all that took them captives held them fast. They refused to let them go. Their Redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is his name. He shall truly plead their cause that he may give rest to the land and disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon. Next, the Lord of hosts is the Lord thy God. It'd be good to keep that in mind on a daily basis. Isaiah 51 verse 15 but I am the Lord thy God that divided the sea, whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is his name. Now let's take it a step further. He's the Lord thy God. Okay. Next, the Lord of hosts is the God of the whole earth. <laughs> How's that for, uh, for broadening your horizons? <laughs> what about the other religions? He, this God, the Lord of hosts, he's the God of, of, of the whole earth. So it'd be better for you. If you want the other religions, again, you have that choice. That, that comes with some serious consequences. But it'd be better for you to abandon those false religions and just come to the God of the whole earth. Isaiah 54, verses 1 through 5. Sing, O barren, that thou didst not uh, bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife. Hmm. Now, I'd love to stop here. I really don't have the time, but, you know, there's so much that could be said there. More the desolate than the children of the married wife. <laughs> that, sound, that sound familiar? Now, that, that's unbelievably interesting to me. Our country has become a country of desolation. You can barely get a man and a woman to get married, but they don't, they don't mind running around like dogs and popping out children like rabbits. Our country's headed in serious, serious trouble. Somebody, somebody needs to get out, preach the gospel, and, and, and confront these people with the word of God. Somebody has to do it. I, I hope it'll be you. I hope those of you that are listening to this, that this will stir you and encourage you. Now, it says, uh, the desolate, then the children of the married wife, saith the Lord, enlarge the place of thy tent and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes. For if thou, uh, for thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Fear not. Now the desolate cities will be inhabited. Desolate. More are the children of the desolate than are, than are the children of the married, of the married wife. It's just very interesting to me. But anyways, we gotta, we gotta keep going. I'm, I'm about to go over my, my, my time here. Uh, where was I? Fear not for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded for thou shalt not be put to shame for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth and shalt not remember the reproach of thy uh, widowhood anymore. For thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the earth, of the whole earth, shall he be called. Now next, he is the former of all things. This is Jeremiah 10, verses 14 and 16, uh, through 16. Every man is brutish in his knowledge. <laughs> well, praise the Lord. Every founder is confounded by the graven image, for his molten image is falsehood. You would think they would know that. Like, you just made that and now it's a God? Like, you just... You know, I've been to Thailand. They have these massive, massive, I mean, like, just massive golden statues of Buddha. They, 
Did Buddha put that there? Or did you put that there? Well, we put that there. <laughs> Do you not see the problem with that? Anyways, for his molten image is falsehood and there is no breath in them. They are vanity and the work of errors. So that's what God thinks about your religion. It's vanity and the work of errors. In the time of their visitation, they shall perish. The portion of Jacob is not like them. For he is the former of all things, and Israel is the rod of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. So you can have all the other religions in the world, or you can find out who the God of Jacob is. The God of Jacob is the Lord of hosts. He's the former of all things. He's the only God. He's the mighty God. He's the, he's the king of glory. That's the God you need to be, you need to be seeking out. Next, he is the living God, Jeremiah 23, verses 33 through 36. And when this people or the prophet or a priest shall ask thee, saying, what is the burden of the Lord? Thou shalt then say unto them, what burden? I will even forsake you, saith the Lord. And as for the prophet and the priest and the people that shall say the burden of the Lord, I will even punish that man and his house. Thus shall you say everyone to his neighbor and everyone to his brother. What hath the Lord answered? And what hath the Lord spoken? And the burden of the Lord shall ye mention no more. For every man's word shall be his burden. For ye have perverted the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God. This passage should provide some consolation for those who are frustrated by the wolves in sheep's clothing. Those fake preachers who prance around on television in God's name, who pervert the words of the living God, he will deal with them. Don't allow yourself to think they are getting away with anything. They will someday stand before the living God and answer for their perversions. You just need to make sure you're not that person. Next, the Lord of hosts is in control of creation. Jeremiah 31 verses 35 through 36. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. If you are amongst the world's communities of scientists, doesn't it seem significant that God placed ordinances on creation that regulate its operation? Wouldn't that seem like something important to know? You know, wouldn't you want to know that as, as you formulate your respective theories and hypotheses that need to be tested rather than using science to fight against God. How much further ahead would you be if, if the realities revealed in this, excuse me, in his word were factored in ahead of time. It, it just puts you so much further ahead rather than fighting against God. And then, and then using your life's work to prove that God was actually right in the first place, you could factor in what God said in his word and, and end up moving in the right direction. Next, he's the great, the mighty God, Jeremiah 32, 16 through 18. Now, when I had delivered the evidence of the purchase unto, unto Barak, the son of Neriah, I prayed unto the Lord saying, ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands and recompensest the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great the mighty God, the Lord of hosts, is his name. Next, he swears by himself. <laughs> you can't do that. I can't do that. God can swear by himself. That's no problem for him. This is Jeremiah 51, verses 14 through 15. The Lord of hosts hath sworn by himself, saying, Surely I will fill thee with men, as with caterpillars, and they shall lift up a shout against thee. He hath made the earth by his power. He hath established the world by his wisdom and has stretched out the heaven by his understanding. And finally, his name shall be great among the Gentiles. That's what we're doing here today. We're making his name great. We're going to read all these passages about the Lord of hosts and just exalt his holy name. Holy, 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 Lord God almighty. If the Jews don't want him, he went unto his own, his own received him not. Man, I am happy to be a part of his plan, part of what he's doing. I am excited that my family is a part of it. I am happy to tell other people about it. I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am happy to preach it and tell people what he did on the cross. You can be ashamed all you want, or you can, you can depend upon government to fix your problems all you want. 
I'm turning to the Lord of hosts. His name shall be great among the Gentiles. Malachi 1 verse 11. For from the rising of the sun and the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place, incense shall be offered unto my name and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. This Lord of hosts is the Lord who spoke to Judah in their day. This overview of who he is should provide us with a better understanding of the significance of his message to Judah. As we keep in mind, these things are written for our learning and admonition. We have a responsibility to be faithful to the Lord of hosts, who is the God of the whole earth. I hope you endured to the end of this. We went over just a little bit, uh, went a little bit longer than I intend, but a couple of these have, and many of you have still listened and followed along, and and uh, that is that is certainly a blessing to me. It's an encouragement to me. I hope, you know, and don't take that the wrong way. It's not that that I'm just looking for, for a pat on the back. I hope this is a help. I hope this will point you to Jesus Christ. I hope this will strengthen you in the Lord. I hope this will make you a, a strong Bible-believing Christian as you seek out to serve, to love, to live for the Lord of hosts, who is the God of the whole earth. Thank you for listening. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.